Ladies and gentlemen, once again, welcome back to another edition of the Riding the Pine podcast. I'm your host, Jack Ridenauer, and it was a great one on Tuesday. If you tuned in, we talked a little bit about one and done basketball players at the college level that went on to the NBA, and we also got into some NFL draft talk as well. Today's going to be another fun-filled episode. We're going to be talking about some of the top transfers for next year in college basketball, and we'll be having a little Flashback Friday segment talking about one of the greatest baseball players to ever grace the diamond. Stick around, folks, because it's going to be a fun one. And welcome back, folks. Again, thanks for joining in to the Riding the Pine podcast. I'm your host, Jack Ridenauer, and we've got a really great one ahead of us today. We're going to just dive right into it. A little recap from last episode, talked about the NFL draft and all sorts of players and picks that could be going in any sort of direction. Also talked about some one and done basketball players that were successful with that philosophy, but also were not as successful with it. Today, we've got a huge episode. Going to be continuing to talk about some college basketball as I'll dive right into it right now. Congratulations to Obi Toppin of Dayton University being named the Wooden and Naismith Player of the Year. Had an incredible year at Dayton. Was really the main reason why the Flyers were so just exploded onto the scene, really. I mean, they were a team that before this year, I mean, they weren't even cracking the top 25 maybe every now and again. But I mean, they found themselves in the top five. Uh, This year, he averaged 20 points per game with seven and a half boards, shot 63% from the field. And again, he was really the main reason why the Dayton Flyers were getting so much recognition. At one point, they were, you know, before everything got canceled and before the tournament uh, was shut down, they were going to be projected to possibly be getting one of those four one seeds in the NCAA tournament. I know that they were, you know, floating between a one seed or a two seed or a three seed. They finished the year top five ranking. They finished 29 and two. And this was no fluke year, in my opinion. I know a lot of people, you know, they look at um, mid-major schools like Dayton. And I know a couple years ago with Wichita State, with how good a team they were when they were undefeated back with they had, you know, Fred Van Fleet and everything else. um, They they definitely deserved every ounce of recognition that they got this year. They earlier in the year, they played Kansas. And at that time, Kansas was ranked number one in the nation and they only lost them by six points. Now, if you're a mid-major school like Dayton and you're going toe-to-toe with one of the most established, one of the greatest college basketball programs ever, and you're losing to them by only six points, you're definitely destined to be having a big year ahead of you. And they definitely did. They went undefeated in their tournament, in their conference, I should say. Um, And again, a lot of that had to do with their player of the year, Obi Toppin, who also entered his name into the NBA draft. So it'll be exciting to see him in an NBA uniform next year, where that might be, not quite sure. Could be a lot of different teams, but I think he'll be a very, very good NBA player. I think that he'll also, um, you know, have a huge impact right away. He's a big uh, athletic. He can stretch the floor out. He runs the floor very well. So it'll be fun to watch him play uh, next year in the NBA for sure. Again, going to stick with that college basketball theme because I know we just got out of the month of March and for all of my fun-loving college basketball fans, this was a huge month for all of us because it would have been March Madness. A lot of people have been asking me, hey, who are the, some of the teams that you would have loved to see 
play in the tournament this year, and Dayton was definitely one of them. I know I, you know, I feel like a broken record right now early on in this episode, continuing to talk about Dayton, but they would have just been a fun team to watch. I think they would have gone really, really far. I know a couple years ago they went to the Elite Eight, so they're definitely a team that's capable of doing a lot of damage, especially in big state games like the NCAA tournament and the Big Dance. So it would have been a lot of fun for them to uh, play this year in the tournament, especially with having Toppin on their team. But another team that I want to dive into, and I personally think would have been a lot of fun to watch, was Seton Hall. Now, a lot of people might say, well, why Seton Hall? Well, they were 21-9. They had numerous top 25 wins. And mainly because of their fellow Big East opponents, that's why they constantly found themselves winning in those top 25 games. Um, They also had a couple other out-of-conference top 25 wins, one of them being against number 12 Maryland. They beat Butler when they were ranked two times. They beat Villanova once as well. And they went toe-to-toe with some other teams like Oregon. And it it was a lot of fun to watch Seton Hall play. And I think they would have been a team that might have gone pretty far in the tournament this year. Where? Not quite sure. Again, that would have, you know, been up in the air. But I think that they would have definitely made a lot of noise. I think it would have been a fun NCAA tournament as a whole because it wasn't anybody in college basketball that was really dominant that just everybody knew that they were going to win it wasn't like when Kentucky was undefeated for you know that one year or you know when Duke has been stacked or whatever it was really up in the air I mean UNC fell out of the top 25 and in my lifetime I can't ever remember when UNC wasn't ranked so that was you know it was kind of fun to watch those teams like Dayton you know San Diego State another team that got a lot of notoriety this year Me personally, though, I was not totally sold on San Diego State. I heard a lot of things about their strength of schedule, how it wasn't very, um, how would you say, up to par with other top tier nationally ranked teams. I think they were ranked 124th in regards to strength of schedule. So again, a team that wasn't playing, you know, unbelievable talent, but they definitely showed that they were talented and they definitely showed that they were capable of being a top 10, you know, top five nationally ranked team. Um, But it definitely would have been a lot of fun to watch this year. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the tournament having to be canceled, but it's okay because now we have a whole nother year to look forward to Uh, next year. It'll be a lot of fun for March Madness, I'm sure, Uh, especially with people not having it this year. I'm sure people are going to be really amped up to see it next year. Now, sticking with that college basketball theme, I know I keep going with college basketball, but again, it's kind of that time of year right now. Um, ESPN just came out with an article about the top college basketball transfers that have entered the portal. And some of them, I think, could be big time impact players for their potential new teams. I think that they could really make a name for not only themselves, but also the programs that they're going into are going to, I should say. Uh, One of them, I'm going to jump right into it. Their number one ranked transfer that is eligible to play immediately, mind you. Um, Carlick Jones from Radford, reigning Big South Player of the Year, averaged 20 points per game, 6'1 guard, very, very quick with the ball, heads up guard, really likes to play up-tempo and and in the open court. He likes to kick it ahead to his teammates, a fast-paced kind of player. He's committed to Louisville right now, and I think that'll be a great fit for him. Why? Well, with the departure of Jordan Noir from Louisville, who is most likely, and I'm pretty sure, is going to be entering the NBA draft after having an incredible year. I mean, averaged 18 points per game, was by far uh, their leading scorer. The next highest scorer was like nine points per game, 9.5 points per game. So with Noara out of the lineup and Jones coming right in, coming off a year where he did average, you know, up to, you know, 20 points per game, definitely going to be fun to watch him in a Cardinal uniform and see how he does with, 
you know, his new team with his new squad, with his new coach. I know Louisville was very, very good this year. And again, with Noara out of the lineup now, I think it just moves everything perfectly for Jones. And I think he can slide right into that rotation and he can be a major impact immediately. Another player who I watched a lot of his film and I was very impressed with him. I have never personally heard of him, probably because he's been injured, you know, for most of the last two years, and that's Seth Towns, former Harvard player, was the 2017-2018 Ivy League Player of the Year, and again, he's missed the last two seasons because of knee injuries, but he has the potential to be one of the top players in this transfer portal if he's healthy, and again, he's a player that really likes to size up his opponents, he'll face you up, he'll try and go around you, he'll definitely, he loves the pull-up jumper, um, and he's very, very active along the perimeter. Again, a bigger, taller wing. Um, he's committed to Ohio State. And again, that's another program that, you know, as I remember, you know, as a kid growing up, they were always nationally ranked, you know, with those Greg Oden teams, Mike Conley, you know, even with Aaron Kraft down the road, they were always really fun to watch. I think that, you know, within recent years, they have not been as good as they were earlier on in the 2000s. But I definitely think with adding Seth Towns and adding somebody who's played at, and again, the Ivy League is no joke. I mean, I know a lot of people might be like, well, you know, it's the Ivy League. You're playing against Yale and Princeton, and, you know, so on and so forth. Those kids can play. Those kids are very talented. Um, Yale, you know, a couple years ago was a Cinderella team. Harvard's been really good. So he's coming from a very good program as it is, and he's going to be stepping right into another great program going into the Big Ten. I think he'll fit a nice style of play that the Buckeyes have. So I'm really excited to see how Seth Towns not only develops personally, um, but also how he meshes with that Buckeye team. And again, I think that they're going to be a team to watch for in the Big Ten. I know for me, I'm a big Wisconsin fan, so I'm always a big Big Ten believer and Big Ten supporter. Uh, and I'm definitely a little worried, you know, with Ohio State getting him because they could definitely do a lot of damage in the conference. Now, moving over to another team in the same conference that has picked up two major Division One transfers, one of them coming from a fellow Big Ten team and another one coming from a local ACC team in Pitt, University of Pittsburgh, um, Trey McGowan's former pit guard had a very promising freshman year. He was very, very good. He seemed to, you know, he thought it seemed like he was going to be stepping into a really good role. Um, him and Xavier Johnson would have been the two backcourt mates uh, for Jeff Capel. But things did not go so well in his sophomore year. He wasn't too happy, this, that and the other. So he entered the transfer portal and he's going to be going to Nebraska. Now, a player like McGowan's is someone who scares me. Why? Because he's not someone that you think of immediately as a big impact player, but he's capable of going off against very good teams and getting hot at the right moment. Had 24 points against both UNC and Louisville this past year, so he's definitely capable of playing very high-caliber basketball against very high-caliber opponents. Um, and again, Nebraska, a team that this year they were not too bad. You know, I mean, they were up and down a little bit, but they're one of those basketball teams that I think is on the bubble of either being, you know, they could be not very good or they could be really good and they can make a lot of noise. Again, he could make a lot of noise for the Cornhuskers. Another player who transferred over from Wisconsin, um, some people might have heard the story, um, kind of left in the middle of the year very abruptly, was not happy with the school, with the program, lots of other things. Kobe King, transferring from Wisconsin, had a very solid sophomore year, averaged 10 points per game for the Badgers. Um, and again, he left right in the middle of the year. He started all 19 games that he played in. So he was a big impact player. He meant a lot to that Badger team. I remember watching the Badgers this year and being like, wow, this kid can play. You know, he's very talented. He's very athletic. He's very active. 
Uh, and he definitely runs the floor very, very well. So again, if the Cornhuskers are looking to kind of play in a little bit more of an up-tempo fashion, they're definitely going after the right players in Trey McGowan's and Kobe King. I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch some Big Ten basketball this year and see you know, where exactly they'll fall uh, in the Big Ten. I know Maryland had a huge year this past year. You know, Wisconsin, again, they, they played a lot better as the year went on. Uh, Michigan, they were up and down. They weren't, you know, so great. At the, they were they weren't so great at the beginning. Then they got a little bit better. Um, and then they had, you know, I mean, they went from unranked to number four in like a week. I'd never seen anything like that. Then they dipped back down, kind of came back up a little bit. So, again, that's another program that is, again, on the verge of being really good. And we've seen Michigan be really good in the past. I mean, they're a storied program, so they could be, you know, another incredible team. I think that Michigan State might have a little bit of a fall off with Cassius Winston most likely leaving uh, their, you know, star point guard uh, as a, he's been a Spartan for all four years and he's been very, very good. He's improved each and every single year. So the Big Ten, again, I know people most likely think of the Big Ten as a football conference, but I think in you know recent years, and I think just overall, they've always still been known as a basketball program or basketball conference as well. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch next year. I think as a whole, you know, there's lots of other guys in the transfer portal that have made you know big noises. They've they've played very very well. I know one of them being uh, Purdue big Matt Harmis. He's another guy that I mean he's very good. I know he doesn't have those big explosive numbers, but he's one of the top shot blockers in the nation. Purdue big 7'3", 250. I mean, that's a big dude. That's a that's a big body that's going to be contesting a lot of shots in the paint. So he can make a lot of noise. I know Alex O'Connell, former Duke guard, going over to Creighton. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day, and we both agreed Creighton could be a great fit for O'Connell. I think that that style of play definitely fits his game. I think he'll be very good. And I think Creighton will, again, be one of those Kind of, I, I don't want to even say they're a sleeper team because they somehow are able to always make a little bit of noise at some point of the year. They're always finding themselves in the top 25. So they're definitely capable of being a top 25 program. And adding O'Connell from Duke definitely is going to add a little bit more depth to their roster, a little bit more talent to their rotation. So it'll be fun to watch them play. Um, Bryce Aiken, another Harvard guard committing to Seton Hall. Uh, this past year put up huge numbers, 22 points per game. Um, and it's, it's, you know, definitely showing that Harvard basketball is producing really talented, uh, very, very skilled players, you know, first with Towns, now Aiken, both leaving to go to much higher, much more prominent um, programs in Seton Hall with Aiken and uh, Louisville for a town. So it'll definitely be a lot of fun to watch kind of the new dynamic in college basketball next year, because there's going to be a lot of shifting. There's going to be a lot more guys transferring in and out, going to be going from you know one school to another. So stay tuned for some more transfer stuff. I know I love college basketball. Um, and for all of you out there that are listening who love college basketball, I'll keep on talking about any sort of big transfers that happen down the road, because it's definitely going to be a big topic, you know, for the foreseeable future with everything that's been going on and a lot of uncertainty. So guys are going to be wanting to leave, want to start, you know, a completely new career over what have you. Um, but again, it'll be a lot of fun to see where guys land. Now we're going to jump over into our flashback Friday segment, and we're going to talk about a player who. I have really personally felt is got to be one of the not only most well-respected players, one of the most beloved players, but also one of the best players and one of the most resilient players to ever play baseball. And that's Cal Ripken Jr. The other night they played his 
record-breaking consecutive game streak game where he broke Lou Gehrig's previous record of 2,130 consecutive games played. Kyle Ripken broke it, and he surpassed it playing the 2,131st straight game. Um, his record now is completely far and above anybody else that's even close to him. I don't even think there's anybody that would even come close to him right now. Uh, he eventually ended his career with 2,632 consecutive games. And I did the math on that. That's about 16 years of playing baseball every single day in the summertime, never sitting out, never taking a day off. And it's completely foreign in today's world, you know, with all, not only in baseball, but just all sports guys sitting out, you know, they have, you know, rest days, recovery days. Um, and I personally, it depends on what time of the season that's okay to do. I think that, you know, in the NBA, some guys were resting a little bit too early because, you know, you, you just came out of training camp. Why are you having to sit, you know, the, the second week of the season, you know, you're fine. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, now, if it's down the road coming playoff time and you want to get some rest, you want to be ready for those big playoff games. Again, I don't blame that. I completely agree with that thinking. And I definitely think that resting later on in the season is a good idea. But when it's earlier on, I think it gets guys out of a rhythm. It takes guys out of kind of playing well together. And again, same thing with baseball. Guys are out of a rhythm if they're sitting out because they're resting. You know, I know they're playing baseball so often, but still they're just you got to stay in that kind of groove, if you will, um, during the season. And I know Ripken was a player that, I mean, he was resilient. I mean, I was reading a story that ESPN published the other day and his teammates would always be, you know, dumbfounded with how he was able to come back from injuries as if it was nothing. He would get hit or beamed or whatever with, you know, 95, 100 mile an hour fastballs and there wouldn't be a bruise on him. There wouldn't be any scratch. There wouldn't be any mark on him. And for that to happen, I mean, I know if I got beamed with a hundred mile an hour fastball, I would have a bruise the size of a grapefruit on my arm and he would just brush it off, get up the next day and go play baseball. I mean, think about that. 16 years, they play 162 games from, let's just say April to September. That's, you know, four, five, six months of going and playing a professional level sport every single day. That's incredible to me. Um, he surpassed Gehrig on September 6th of 1995. They actually replayed the game the other day on ESPN. It made me think of, you know, doing this segment because that's just so, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's just baffling to see a guy that he was able to conquer any sort of injury, any sort of mishap, anything, and continue to come every single day, lace up the cleats, throw his glove on and go out to the field. Um, I was reading this article and it was very fascinating. Actually, a lot of opposing players and op opposing pitchers specifically were frightened of hitting him. They were so afraid of pitching him anywhere close. They didn't want him to get hit. They didn't want they didn't want to be the cause of his record not being broken. And now with other records, you usually aren't really sure when the record will be broken. Like with Barry Bonds' home run record, it could have happened at any time. You weren't really sure when it would happen. But with Garrett or uh, excuse me, with Ripken's record, you definitely knew when it was going to happen. There was a set date as to when he would surpass Gehrig. And a lot of people were like, wow, like, I hope he doesn't get hurt. I hope he doesn't get injured. Um, people would actually boo their own pitchers for, you know, their home teams if they tried to hit Ripken or if they came close to hitting Ripken. And I read that and I was like, wow, not only does that speak volume of who you are as a player, but also who you are as a person, you know, his character was flawless. I mean, he was someone that was beloved by everybody. Doesn't matter if you were a Yankees fan, a Red Sox fan, an Orioles fan, Blue Jays fan, Pirates fan, doesn't matter. 
people loved Ripken. And I think that that summer of 95 was definitely very important, not only for baseball. I know I read a lot of other stuff that that summer really kind of saved baseball because baseball was kind of, you know, in um, a little bit of turmoil, I guess, with the fans and, and, you know, with everything that had gone on in 1994 uh, and with the player strike and so on and so forth. So Ripken doing that definitely it hit everybody. It was a, a ripple effect that was felt throughout the entire league, but it was a great ripple effect. It was something that, wow, like this is monumental. You know, this is something that most likely will never be seen again. I personally do not think in our lifetime we will ever see a player, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there'll be a guy that comes down in the next 10, 15 years that's able to play, you know, 15, 16, maybe even 17 or 18 years consecutively. But again, with just the way that sports are nowadays and with the emphasis on rest, I personally don't think that that record will ever be touched. Um, and if it is, I think it's going to be, you know, very, very far down the road. Um, and again, I mean, a couple of guys that I was thinking of that could possibly that I could see surpassing that one of them being Mike Trout. I know he's gotten, you know, a couple injuries here and there over the years, but he's somebody who definitely if he wanted to battle through and if he wanted to, you know, if he continued to take care of his body, which I know he will. I mean, he's an incredible player. He's, you know, the best baseball player in the majors. I mean, he's unbelievable. Um, he can definitely maybe, maybe get to that record. Maybe. But again, with how far along he is in his career, I don't see that happening. Um, now, what was very interesting to read was after Ripken broke that record, he was exhausted. I mean, I think anybody would be exhausted. I would be probably wiped if I played three straight professional MLB games in three consecutive days. I would be exhausted. I would need to have a day off. I think a lot of people probably would. He went into a massive slump. He went three for 44 over his next 44 plate appearances. And people would continue to see him, though, after games, going out on the field, taking the tee out, getting reps, continuing to stay in that rhythm and trying to stay up to par with all the other younger, more athletic, you know, healthier, if you will, even though Ripken was probably just as healthy as they were, you know, players that he had to go up against. And it just shows, again, that's the level of resiliency that he had, not only just as a player, but as a person. Um, I mean, his character, again, was flawless. And I just, I really don't see his record ever being broken. I think it'll take, uh, it'll take a lot of Probably, you know, uh, physical therapy, uh, recovery, this, that and the other, especially with how guys train for baseball nowadays and how, you know, the whole training regimen has now also been shifted a little bit. You know, guys are very, you know, emphatic upon getting in the gym, working out, lifting, getting in those extra reps. And, you know, that definitely puts a wear on your body. And with how guys are nowadays, it's a little bit harder to do. Um, I'm trying to think of other players that, you know, could potentially come close to that, you know, maybe Bryce Harper. But the thing with Bryce Harper now is that he's kind of gone a little bit prima donna on everybody, in my opinion. I think after that huge contract, you know, he made that big fuss about how much money he wanted. And ever since then, I mean, you know, he had an OK year, but he didn't have a year that he had when he was in D.C. and he was hitting 40 bombs and, you know, 100 RBIs or whatever it was. Uh, and I don't think that he will personally, I don't think that he will even come close to getting that kind of consecutive game record. Now, maybe some of these younger guys, like I could see maybe um, Ozzie Albies, you know, uh, possibly if with the Braves, he could maybe break that record. I mean, he's a guy that comes every day ready to play. Um, if Christian Yelich didn't have that massive injury, um, well, I don't want to say massive, but he was out for a little bit of time. 
Um, you know, maybe he could be one, but again, he's played for so many years now that I think it's kind of past that point of no return where even if he played from this day forward every single day for however many more seasons he plays, I don't see him even coming close to that like ever. And again, 2000 games. I mean, that is incredible because they're playing 160. So even if you're playing 400 or 500 or 600 consecutive games, you're really only playing four or five maybe four or five years in a row compared to 16 years. That's a totally different difference. I mean, that's a, that's a totally different realm. You know, that's a completely different world. Um, but again, it will be interesting to see, you know, if we'll ever see a player like Ripken, who's able to withstand the everyday beating of baseball, like it is, I mean, it's a, it's a long season. I mean, it's 162 games and they have, you know, a handful of off days mixed in with the all-star game, you know, that's, you know, three or four days off or whatever. That's a constant grind. Doesn't matter, you know, what type of weather you're in, you're constantly outside. It's hot. You're getting in reps. And, you know, a lot of people might say, well, baseball players aren't doing what, you know, football players are doing or basketball players. Well, no, they're not. But again, they're starting to do a lot of the prep work that these other athletes are doing. So, again, they're still putting their bodies through a lot because, you know, over time, baseball players have become more uh, aware of being, you know, strong, athletic, able to withstand the beating of a 162 game season. And with that, I just don't, you know, again, it's it'll probably never happen again. So it was very, very special moment for not only Ripken, but just baseball fans in general. It was really cool watching the game um, and just what that meant to him and, you know, the Orioles and all of baseball too. So that's going to do it for today, folks. Again, thank you so much for tuning in again. Episode one is already out. Episode two will be going up later today. It's going to be a really fun one. I know on Tuesday of next week, I'm going to have a special guest coming in, not going to say who it's going to be a surprise, but we're going to have a special call in interview and it's going to be a really good one. So stay tuned and keep riding the bench with me. Thanks folks. And this is your friend, Jack Ridenauer signing off from riding the pine. <laughs>